are in Galatians chapter 3, we're in verses 10 to 14, um, and we're going to just spend a little bit of time there and see what God's word has to say to us this morning. And so let's, let's just read the little passage first of all. So Galatians 3, verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeems us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written... Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, I've got a pretty hopeless sense of direction. And a, a few months back, I was, I was back over in Northern Ireland. I borrowed my dad's car to, um, to, to pick up my brother. He had been down at a course in Belfast, and he was getting a lift back up with a friend. And the plan was that I would meet him on, just off one of the A roads, just off the motorway junction near where my parents lived. Now, it really can't be that difficult, can it? But I decided that just to make things a little bit easier, I would drive, come up the road, drive all the way around the roundabout, and then come back off the junction again and, and just park on the layby on the side of the road. But somehow, I managed to come off at the wrong junction. However, I am absolutely convinced that I am parked in exactly the right place, the place where I should be, so much so that when my brother Colin rings me to say, where are you? I argue with him for, te for, for about two to three minutes and, and, uh, and tell him actually he must be wrong because I'm definitely right. You know that horrible moment when reality dawns because no matter how much I argued, no matter how much I thought I was right, the truth was I was parked in completely the wrong place. And so it was with the Jewish scholars. They were teaching that these ordinary people who didn't know or, or at least hadn't much interest in the law, that they were under God's curse. But in these verses, Paul turns the tables and he points, he points out that actually these Jewish scholars, not the Gentile Christians, were under the curse. They had it completely wrong. And just like me, they are utterly convinced that they are right. And they had no idea how wrong they really were. And as we've seen um, earlier in this chapter that Paul is once again re-emphasizing that there are only two ways that we can approach God, either on the grounds of grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ or on the grounds of our own merit, this work-based righteousness. And Paul here is determined to highlight the huge problem with finding our confidence in what we do. You see, it's so easy to think that um, either consciously or even subconsciously that I'm a good person because I go to church or I live my life mostly according to biblical principles so God must be pleased with how I live so therefore I am fine with him but Paul is very quick to point out how wrong they were to think like that 
In fact, he says, you are cursed. The person who seeks to earn God's acceptance is under a curse. Now, these are very strong words, but the fact is that the person who relies on the law has got nothing to do with faith. There's a critical word here again in verse 10 and verse 12 is does, this idea of doing. So suppose, Paul says, suppose you decide that you are going to try and earn favor with God and find his approval by means of accepting and obeying the law. And suppose you do try to get into that right relationship with God in that way. What are the logical or the inevitable consequences of doing that? Well, first of all, if you decide to live by moral effort, you have to stand or fall by your decision. If you choose the law, you have to live by the law. Secondly, it is impossible to do it. As Paul says, no one ever has, no one ever will succeed in always keeping, obeying, and satisfying the law. You are a lawbreaker. So this method of seeking God is just doomed to failure because of one rather major issue. It's impossible. And that's Paul's point. Anyone who's trying to be put right with God by keeping the law is attempting to do the impossible. And here Paul um, is quoting from Deuteronomy 27 verse 26 to make his point. He says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm does not confirm the words of the law by doing them. So follow Paul's logic here. Law demands obedience. But it means obedience in everything. So the law is not like a box of chocolates where you can just pick and choose the ones you sort of like. Now, if you're anything like me, you maybe pick out all the toffees and maybe the ones with nut inside them, but you leave the strawberry cream and the Turkish delight. Who eats those things anyway? And then the problem is that you've got to clear the lot. You can't, if you just leave one behind, you have completely failed. Now, of course, it's very doable for most of us to eat our way through a box of chocolates but not so easy when it is coming to keep the law, because if you break just one law, you've broken them all. And Paul says, if you disobey just one of God's laws, I am under God's curse. Now, the reality is, I can't speak for anybody else, but I have broken many more than just one of those laws. But assuming for a moment I have just broken one, it's as if I have broken them all. So how could a holy God declare me righteous? In fact, it would be unjust for him to do such a thing. God cannot simply set the curse, his curse aside. Justice must be done. So my attempt at righteousness means that I face life, I face eternity without his loving presence. And there is nothing that I can do to remove that curse. You see, salvation can never come by obeying laws because the law brings curse, not blessing. And at the very root of our beings, we are sinners. And we cannot keep these laws. We just can't. And so Paul is pleading. In fact, he's calling them back to a life of blessing. 
so that they would enjoy the relationship of love, of life by faith in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, it's just so crazy to think that a Christian would abandon faith, or, yeah, abandon faith and grace for law and for works. See, the law will never justify the sinner or give righteousness. The law cannot give the gift of the Holy Spirit. It cannot give life, and it certainly cannot bring freedom, nor can it guarantee the spiritual inheritance that is the promise for all who follow God. So why would you go back to the law and to a work-based righteousness when you can have hope and life and freedom and grace? You can imagine for a moment, Paul is holding up these two ideas. In one hand, he's holding up the law and the curse that it brings. In the other, life and wholeness and grace. So which one of these are you going to choose? He's dealt with the curse. He's talked about that already. Now Paul wants to draw our attention to faith. To do this, Paul again dips back into the Old Testament, into Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. And he says, the just shall live by faith. And this sentence is quintessentially justification by faith, but it is so important that it takes the books of Romans, the books of Galatians, and the books of Hebrews just to try and explain it. See, Romans tells us how a sinner can be justified before God. Galatians, how the just shall live and Hebrews, the importance of faith. But the message that is shouted here just loud and clear is that no one can ever live by the law. Only a faith-based righteousness can save you. Only Jesus Christ is the answer. In verses 13 to 14, Paul is reaffirming everything that he's been saying in this chapter and perhaps answering just a few important questions at the same time. So does the law put sinners under a curse? Well, the answer is yes, we've, we've read that already. But then Christ has redeemed us from that curse. Do you want the blessing of Abraham, Jew or Gentile? Like, do you want the blessing of Abraham? Well, the answer, of course, is yes, of course we do. Well, it comes through Jesus Christ. Do you want the gift of the Holy Spirit? Yes, of course we do. Well, all that you need is Jesus. You, there's no, you need nothing else and no one else. But please understand, this blessing, this gift, this curse removal, this redemption came at such a massive cost. In verse 13... Paul is again a quote, quoting from Deuteronomy this time. He's in chapter 21, verse 23. I'll read the verse for you. It says, You must not leave the body hanging on a pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. And Paul quotes, of course, that last, that last sentence. But you see, the, Jewish, um, the Jews did not crucify criminals. They stoned them to death. But in cases of shameful violations of the law, that body would be hung on a tree, on a pole, for everyone to see. This was the greatest, the ultimate in humiliation. Now, the Roman punishment of crucifixion differed in many ways from the Jewish custom of exposing the dead bodies of criminals on a stake. But the message is still the same. Death by hanging is still a very powerful outward sign that the person has broken the law. 
It's both a punishment, but also a curse. Of course, when Paul refers to the pole, he is talking about the cross where Jesus died. And it wasn't just the manner of his death that meant that he was cursed. See, when Jesus was nailed to the cross alive and then left to die, there was also a deeper, richer meaning at a whole other level because he was there in fulfillment of many of the Old Testament prophecies. So this is not only a death of shame for both Jews and Gentiles alike. It it symbolizes the fact that the one who hung there willingly endured the curse for us. By dying on the cross, Jesus bore the curse of the law for you. So that the believer is now no longer under the law or under its awful curse. Instead, the blessing of God, justification by faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. And this most amazing news is that God has removed the curse. And by faith in Jesus, who died for you, you are acceptable to God and you have his spirit. And what is impossible for you to do is very possible for God to do. And your Father in heaven does not leave you under a curse as an imperfect lawbreaker. But through faith in Jesus, that curse has been removed. And what is really significant here? is that Jesus did not simply take your curse. He became a curse for you. Verse 13. Please note, Christ was not a sinner. Jesus never sinned. Jesus lived a perfect life. The only one who ever has. But on that cross, he was treated legally as if he was a sinner. He became sin. And because Jesus became the sinner that you are, then by faith, you have become perfect and flawless as he is. Let me just read some more verses just to add, hopefully, to our appreciation of what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 3, 13. This is 1 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 3.21 But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sin committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. One more, First Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He put to death in the body, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And this great achievement, this great promise of Jesus, is that 
Whoever you are, irrespective of your background, of your nationality, of your social upbringing, of anything else, you can know the blessing of God and the filling of the Holy Spirit all through Jesus Christ. These are the blessings that are yours in Jesus. Faith in Jesus will do what no work-based righteousness could ever do. We can find and will find salvation and peace with God. Through Jesus. And the words that Paul uses here to describe this is redeemed. Redeemed means to purchase a slave for the purpose of setting him free. Now, of course, in those days, most people, when they bought a slave, they were normally going to keep that slave for themselves. That slave had no intention of setting that slave free. And in a sense, in the culture, they had every right to do that. But this is not what Jesus Christ did. By shedding his blood on the cross, he purchased you so that you might be set free. Salvation is being set free from the bondage of sin and from the law into the freedom of God's grace through Jesus Christ. I know many of you today could testify to God's amazing grace within your life. But there's something just really poignant about the words of John Newton, a slave trader who wrote that hymn, which we all know, Amazing Grace. He says this, Only God's amazing grace could and would take a rude, profane, slave-trading sailor and transform him into a child of God. Listen, your story and my story may be a little bit different to that of John Newton, but we must never cease to stand in awe and amazement of what God has done through Jesus Christ within our lives. All what I've mentioned just raises one big question. If all of this is true... If God's grace is so amazing, why would anybody be convinced that the way of the law is better than the way of grace? Why would anybody want to choose slavery over freedom? But this is exactly what's happened in Galatians. But perhaps the answer to this question is found at the very, in, in, I guess Paul's choice of words at the very beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, these guys are bewitched. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? And this word means to cast a spell or to fascinate. So what is there about legalism that can so fascinate the Christian that it can turn them from grace to law? Listen, we need to be careful of this. If it happened to the Galatians, it can happen to us. It may well be that we're already struggling with some of these things already. So what is it that so fascinates the Christian that we are drawn towards legalism? Some thoughts. First of all, legalism appeals to the flesh. And what I mean by the flesh is this, our human desires, our human hopes. Listen, we, we sort of love the human, the flesh, the, 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 the human nature loves to be religious. It loves to obey rules. Now, the majority of us, of course, feel comfortable when we... Have get good, sort of get good structures in place within our lives. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Rules just often make us feel safe. We just like routine of life. And we all do it, of course. So every Sunday morning, I sit in that chair. 
I could sit in that one or that one or any, but I always sit in that chair. That is my chair. Now, I don't know how I'm going to feel if somebody comes and sits there before me, how I'll feel about that, but that's my chair. But there, listen, there comes a point when a rule becomes legalism. And we can apply this, of course, to many other different things within life. It could be obedience, fasting, worship. Listen, all of these things should be encouraged as long as they are motivated, as they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the flesh loves to boast about religious activities. We like to boast. We've we've prayed a long time, and we think, what a great prayer I've just prayed. And we can easily drift into legalism. We've given a lot of money. Maybe we're generous people at heart, but actually how much we like to be congratulated and packed, pat on the back for, for being generous, for giving money. Our acts of service can easily drift away from led by the Spirit into some legalistic attitudes. Listen, we must live by the Spirit that brings life, not by the flesh that leads to death. We must examine our hearts before God. The second thing about legalism is that it appeals to our senses. This is why we like it so much. Instead of worshipping God in spirit and in truth, the legalist wants to satisfy their senses. See, if worship is only about sensory satisfaction, you walk by sight, by hearing, tasting, smelling, and feeling, but you're not walking by faith. And the Bible clearly tells us that we need to walk by faith, not by sight. Now, of course, spirit-led worship and faith does not mean that you need to deny your five senses. In fact, but you need to be careful that you get this into the right perspective. Because these are just external things that help you to perceive the eternal. But they're not an end in themselves. Nor must they ever become such. True worship goes much deeper. So the writer to Psalm 42 describes, while he, a place where he's in absolute utter despair before God, he cries out, my soul is downcast within me. So even, even when his senses cannot find hope, his soul still can cry out to God. In fact, he describes it like this, deep calls out to deep. Something within his spirit is calling out before God and connecting with the spirit of God in those moments. Listen, that is worship. But I wonder how often our worship becomes legalistic. It becomes about the music or about the melody and just appealing to our senses. But we are called to bring true worship to God. Again, let's stop and examine our hearts in the light of God's word by his spirit. The third thing about legalism is it appeals to our compulsion to measure and to compare ourselves to others. See, we like to feel good about ourselves, don't we? I do. We like to know that other people are thinking well of us. So we can so easily fall into the trap of just looking around, maybe even pointing out somebody else's feelings or inconsistencies or hypocrisies, and then we can decide, well, at least I'm doing better than they are. See, the legalist constantly boasts about himself or herself and his achievements. He's very quick to criticize others, but a true believer measures himself or herself against Jesus, not other Christians. 
See, there's no room for pride in the spirit-filled Christian's life who lives by grace. But there is something bewitching, something fascinating about the law. And it's like this bait that can lead into a trap. Once the Christian takes that bait, they can find themselves so easily trapped. When I was a teenager, I decided that I was going to take up fishing. So I bought a fishing rod and, uh, and hooks and floats and all other bits and pieces. And we went down to the river with a friend who knew a little bit more than I knew about fishing. And he taught us a few things. So he taught me how to cast. And after a few goes, I was sort of getting the hang of it, how getting the, 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 um, the, the hook into the water and various other things. And the next week, I actually p- felt pretty confident that I knew what I'm doing by this stage. So I said, I go back down by myself, even though I'd caught nothing at this point. Things are going pretty well until that hook somehow ends up caught in the back of my jeans rather than in the water. Have you any idea how difficult it is to get those barbed hooks out of yourself? And how silly you look walking around attached to a fishing rod? With a little bit of help, I eventually got myself free. But I decided my fishing days were probably over at that point. Listen, legalism and law can hook and it can entangle you, and it's no laughing matter. This is serious stuff, but the antidote is the lavish, it is the unlimited grace of God. And how much better to take God at his word and to rest in his grace. Listen, when you became a Christian, you were saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now that you're walking as a Christian, you need to continue to live by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no difference. It is all about Jesus. We've sang it, haven't we? This is all about Jesus. He takes center place within our lives. Any other way will lead to bondage. Without Jesus Christ, you will never, you would never have known how much God loves you. Listen, his death is proof of his love for you and how much he can be trusted. He is the only way that you can be set free from the curse of the law. Through the finished work of Jesus Christ, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is the irrefutable guarantee that you are saved. He is proof that you are a child of God. And the one simple yet tremendous fact that is never far away from the mind or from the heart of Paul and never and should never be far away from our mind either is the cost of the gospel. You must never forget that the peace, the freedom, this right relationship with God that is received by faith, it cost the life, it cost the death of Jesus Christ. This is the wonder of the gospel. It is the miracle of grace. It is the certainty and the security that is affirmed and guaranteed through the Holy Spirit. So let us receive him and the grace that he so freely offers See, the only logical choice is to abandon legalism and to throw yourselves on the mercy and on the grace of God. You must walk the way of faith and take God at his word and trust him. Listen, there is no other gospel and there is no greater hope. Let's stand. Let's pray.
Lord, once again, Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Father, as we just bring things to a close this morning, Father, we want to just align ourselves with you once again. Holy Spirit, we know you're here already, but we want to invite you again just to come and just to speak into our hearts. Lord, just reveal maybe even in these moments we're just going to just sing another song together just to worship just for, just for a minute or two. But Lord, we just want to, in that time, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts. Father, if there are areas that where law has creeped in, where religion seems to have got a hold, when we're not really looking to you, when we're trying to be doers, not receivers, Holy Spirit, just reveal. Deal with those hard areas within our hearts today.